Bitcoiners, welcome to this special panel in Bitcoin Magazine podcast. This one was with an incredible panelist, our, pan, our crew. This was Kathy Wood, the founder of ARK Invest, and Anthony Scaramucci, the founder of Skybridge and Skybridge Bitcoin. I'm CK Snarks. I'm joined with my talented co-host, Dylan LeClaire at BTCization head of research at Bitcoin Magazine. This was an epic conversation, and this was brought to you by Bitcoin 2021. Uh, this is the first virtual teaser content that's going out before the conference. You are viewing this right before the event, and the event is happening on June 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Miami, Florida. We are going to be live streaming all the amazing content at the event over at Bitcoin Magazine YouTube and at Bitcoin Magazine and at the Bitcoin Conference on Twitter. Check out the conference if you cannot be there. And if you are lucky enough to already have a Bitcoin 2021 ticket, you better check it out. It's gonna, you better enjoy the weekend. It is gonna be the most incredible weekend of Bitcoining in history. It's gonna be the biggest event of Bitcoin's history. And uh, we are looking to crush it here at Bitcoin Magazine and set everyone up for uh, getting excited about Bitcoin 2022. So if you can't be at Bitcoin 2021, have no fear. Bitcoin 2022 tickets will be available as soon as Bitcoin 2021 is over. And uh, you're definitely not going to want to miss it. Uh, we had such an incredible time talking to Kathy and Anthony. Um, Dylan, um, you know, I'm sure this was a dream come true for you. Um, how was it talking about institutions in Bitcoin with these two heavy hitters? Yeah, I mean, these guys have have a lot of experience, uh, you know, in the space. Kathy's been been uh, you know all over all over Bitcoin with with Ark since 2014. Anthony's somewhat of a you know a recent entrant into the space, but he has a, a long history with Skyridge. Um, and they're really just two two bright minds in the forefront of this uh, you know monetary revolution. So it was awesome to sit down and, and pick their brain and and see what they thought about the current current landscape in Bitcoin. All right. Well, hey, let's not keep the listeners waiting. Let's get into this amazing conversation with Anthony and Kathy. Bitcoiners, I am extremely thrilled to introduce this Bitcoin 2021 inspired panel, the institutional landscape for Bitcoin. I'm sitting here with two innovators and trailblazers in their own right in the Bitcoin and investing world. I'm sitting across from Kathy Wood and Anthony Scaramucci. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm CK. I am the managing director at Bitcoin Magazine, and uh, I'm joined by Dylan LeClaire, who is our head of research. And uh, we're going to be asking these two amazing guests uh, some questions about the institutional landscape and macro around Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, let's just get started. I want to introduce Kathy Wood, the founder of ARK Invest. Kathy, why don't you kind of give us uh, just a quick intro to your uh, place in Bitcoin and how ARC views it? Okay, well, uh, I started ARC in uh, 2014 to focus exclusively on disruptive innovation. And of course, uh, blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, crypto assets. Uh, are some of the most disruptive innovations taking place today. Uh, we took our first position. In fact, I think we were the first public asset manager uh, to gain exposure to Bitcoin in our 40 Act funds, very highly regulated, through the only thing we could buy at the time, and it was GBTC. And it wasn't even at a, a premium. It was roughly at par. Uh, that was uh, when it was at $250, a market cap of $6 billion. Uh, and our conviction in it, uh, though it has been volatile, surely, our, our conviction in Bitcoin has only increased over the years. And I think the big exclamation point for me in the early days was uh, my mentor, Art Laffer, a global monetary scholar. His mentor was Robert Mundell, who won a Nobel Prize for uh, monetary his monetary economics. Uh, as he and we were collaborating, Chris Bernisky at the time, uh, on a white paper, uh, the light bulb went on for, for both of us. And I said, Art, how big could this be? And he said, well, how big is the U.S. monetary base? And at that time, it was four and a half trillion dollars. Today, it's closer to seven and a half trillion dollars. And so 
uh, we ran with it and uh, haven't regretted it for one minute since. Wow. Wow. What an intro. And honestly, you have been trailblazing in Bitcoin for a long time, and that's an amazing story. Uh, so thank you for sharing that, Kathy. Um, Anthony, welcome to the panel. Uh, same question to you, sir. Well, the, the right answer is that I'm doing whatever Kathy Wood is doing. That's the right answer. Okay. But the more analytical answer for us is, uh, you know, I actually was introduced to Bitcoin by the Winklevoss uh, twins at our SALT conference way back in 2014. And I have to be candid with you guys. I started out as a skeptic, uh, having been steeped in value investing and followed around the likes of Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. I had a degree of caution, but what I did say to Cameron and Tyler at that time, if this was scaling pursuant to Medcalf's law, if it was really going to reach some level of escape velocity, it would be something that I would look at. Now, I want to fast forward to my disastrous uh, White House experience. When I came out of the White House and got blown into Pennsylvania Avenue, the first thing I did was buy the URL skybridgebitcoin.com. Why? It became very clear to me in my short stay in Washington that we would eventually be digitizing our currency, the US dollar, other currencies would be digitizing. No, the government wasn't saying anything about it at the time, but you could get the sense from a regulatory perspective of where things were going to be moving in terms of the efficiency of it and the disintermediation properties of it. And so it became clear to me that Skybridge needed to have a Bitcoin presence, but I have to confess to you that I was still very cautious. And so I had a checklist and there were three things on the list. Number one, were there at least 100 million users or could I attribute 100 million people in the Bitcoin network? Number two, what was the regulatory landscape, particularly here in the United States and in the Western democracies? Was it going to be accepted? And clearly here in the US, we tax it as an intangible, which I think is a beneficial form of taxation. And then the third thing, which was equally important to the other two, was the storage. If I was going to put a half a billion dollars of my client's capital in Bitcoin, which we we have, and by the way, if you had asked me this question a few weeks ago, I would have said it was $750 million of capital, but we have a half a million, you know, 500 million now, a half a billion. Um, can I store it? Can I store it safely? And are there vehicles, whether it's NIDIG or Fidelity, places where I can safely store it in a cold storage setting uh, where there's layers of insurance? And so once those criteria were met, uh, shortly after uh, Michael Saylor waded into Bitcoin, we started buying our first coins back in the October time frame. Uh, we spread it across our business line after we got SEC approval, or at least we notified the SEC that we're doing that. Uh, and then we launched our Bitcoin limited partnership in January, which is Bitcoin specific. So it was about 100 million in that. And there's about 400 million across our, our products. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you both for that introduction. And again, I think you both have awesome stories to attribute to Bitcoin, which is it, it kind of gives some personality to uh, getting into the asset class. I think everyone kind of has their own story. And it's it's really awesome here, both of yours. I want to talk about the volatility. Anthony, you alluded to, um, you know, your client's money to, that has been exposed to Bitcoin, you know, is a little bit off of its peak. Um, of the high 60s. Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about um, volatility, how your clients react to it, how Skybridge reacts to it? And yeah. Well, you know, this is something actually, I'm going to talk briefly like Kathy speak, because I've learned a lot of this from Kathy's writings. You know, if you are in a new asset class and you're in something that's this disruptive, that is scaling, well, you're going to have a volatility curve to that. Amazon, as an example, uh, a $10,000 investment in its IPO May 15, 1997, worth $21 million today, but you had to subject yourself to eight periods of time where it was down at least 50%, in one case, 85%. Uh, and yet, if you held on and Amazon did reach its arc pursuant to Metcalf's law in terms of its scalability becoming a full, fully embraced retail network, uh, you had to go through that volatility. Same with Facebook, same with Google. So we sized this appropriately 
for our clients uh, with this sort of walk away mentality, where if we had to mark our position to zero, we were still comfortable with the rest of our assets. And of course, if we're right, we have enough of it on uh, where it'll have a big impact for our client portfolios. Yeah, I, I uh, agree with Anthony. We are long-term in our focus. Keep your eye on the prize. Uh, and I do think in the short term, what has happened here, uh, one, one of the things that's happened is reminiscent uh, of the beginning of 2017 when China shut down all of its exchanges and the Bitcoin price, Bitcoin's price collapsed. Uh, and uh, anyone who bought on that enjoyed one of the mo most magnificent runs during 2017, because what we learned is fine. China shuts down its exchanges and the activity moves to Japan, Korea, Thailand, almost seamlessly. And when people looked around and said, OK, nothing happened there, uh, uh, this just shifted. And, and we think the same will be true of mining, by the way, and therefore mining will be more transparent uh, than it is in China right now. Uh, I think ESG is the second reason uh, that, that it has gone down. Uh, environmental, social governments, primarily environmental. How is Bitcoin mined? Uh, a lot of institutions are asking that question. Uh, and uh, ESG has become uh, a very important strategy, especially in, in Europe, uh, increasingly in the United States. And this was one more uh, risk that it was going to keep institutions from migrating into this new asset class. This is a new asset class. And from 10, 11 years worth of data, we can see the low correlation of returns compared to other assets. Uh, institutional investors have to consider this uh, because certainly their competitors are as a, a, for, uh, another form of diversification uh, and, and opportunity. Uh, uh, and I think this put that off for a moment, uh, but I think that the uh, spotlight on the environment is going to cause something really interesting to happen here. Uh, we just wrote a paper with Square about the ramifications of putting Bitcoin mining into a solar power world wall merchant power ecosystem so that it could absorb all the extra energy coming from the sun uh, after the battery, uh, the power pack is filled up. Uh, that would add a new dimension of economics to this ecosystem and would encourage uh, homeowners and utilities to add more solar to their own ecosystems than otherwise would be the case. So it's actually going to accelerate the movement into renewables. I think that's what's going to bring institutions back. And I think uh, T Elon Musk highlighting, uh-oh, is this a risk that I have considered adequately as I put Bitcoin on my balance, sheet, my firm's balance sheet, I think he's going to uh, be a part of the solution. So uh, we think what has happened here is actually going to turn into good news. And I just want to add something, if you guys don't mind. You know, you had a trillion plus dollars taken out of the marketplace. If you if you factor in all the altcoins, what happened to Bitcoin? Uh, and yet, I, I want you to think about the power of decentralized finance. Uh, if that would have happened to the banking system, or if that would have happened in 2008, uh, we would have been awash in a crisis, a stock market crisis. Uh, the Fed would have had to come in with the cardiac. Uh, pumps and clamps and and jammed uh, hundreds of billions of dollars into the economy. And so I just want you to think about the shock of losing a trillion dollars of value, and yet the system cleared itself beautifully. And so mm -hmm. in a very weird way, there's an anti-fragility to what took place over the last two or three weeks. I, yeah. I, I, Kathy, do you agree with that? Yeah, I want absolutely. Uh, I was keeping very... Uh, uh, close contact with my friends in the DeFi space, particularly venture funds deeply involved in it, and uh, monitoring. Uh, and it seemed to uh, it seemed to, to to go pretty flawlessly. Of course, uh, there are uh, some bankruptcies out there, you know, and and uh, businesses that are not going to exist. But this is the natural clearing process. If you want to take on that leverage, leverage, 
that's the kind of risk you're taking and just know that. So I think each one of these corrections, certainly the coronavirus was a battle test and now this one is a battle test. I think each one brings with it improvements in governance, uh, uh, but also proves out, as Anthony says, how robust this decentralized ecosystem is. Hey, Anthony, I, I would like to ask you a question, um, and it's kind of coupling off, off what you guys were just talking about, about the robustness of, of Bitcoin um, through the volatility. What was the institutional reaction from, at first, um, Elon's tweets, which seemingly bullish or bearish, move the market and you know, Bitcoin, just like any other asset, is trading at the margin, right? The price price is set at the margin short term, especially with these derivative markets. What was the reaction to that, um, you know, uh, near trillion dollar asset class uh, as being, being you know, sent up or down depending on on one man's tweets? And uh, how, how did you respond to those questions? So, so look, I, I think I have an interesting vantage point. And I know Kathy has a perhaps a different perspective. I have 34 hedge fund managers in my core fund, which is about $9 billion, uh, including people like Dan Loeb that are now Bitcoiners. Um, I've got a tracking of about 1,200 funds that my re our research department here tracks. And then, of course, we have the SALT conference, uh, where we probably have had 100 or so thousand people over 10 years traffic through the conferences or the SALT talk series, et cetera. So we're doing a lot of surveys, a lot of analytics. Again, this is just my opinion, and it's probably a sample that's biased. I don't think there's a lot of institutions that are heavily invested in Bitcoin. Now, Kathy's a large institution. She's invested. Are there disruptive institutions that are invested? Yes, but I don't even think we're in innings. When somebody asks me a baseball metaphor, what inning are we in? I don't even think we've left spring training yet. We can forget about the innings. We haven't even got to the stadium yet in terms of where we're going to be and in terms of the ultimate saturation. So uh, I would say that these price shocks, if you will, are probably bigger speed bumps for the state institutions. And I'm going to take Kathy down the road of FUD for Amazon. How many institutions over 20 years hated on Amazon, didn't believe its story, couldn't believe that it had a market cap larger than Sears back in 1999, had no earnings, no discernible earnings, and yet it sits here today as this great colossus and Jeff Bezos as the richest person on planet Earth. And so the, the point I'm making is maybe Kathy sees it differently, but I think the institutional demand was starting. I think it has stopped I think it will eventually start again. The institutions are going to get pulled into this thing the way Morgan Stanley got pulled into it. How did Morgan Stanley get pulled into it? In my opinion, the clients pulled Morgan Stanley into it. They, they, they said, hey, you know what? I got to have this on my, my platform. Otherwise, the clients are going to migrate to some other firm. And so therefore, I need to have this at the buffet table. And so we're not there yet with any level of institutional saturation and in my opinion, there lies this unbelievable opportunity. Yeah, I, I can um, echo what a Anthony is saying. I will say I, uh, we heard that some institutions were taking advantage of this 50% uh, drop in the price. They had been worried about top ticking. Uh, and uh, I think they believe that half of the solution is under the understanding the problem in terms of ESG and just putting a spotlight on it. So I think uh, some institutions have been opportunistic, but not very many. I think this was more of a showstopper, uh, uh, at least temporarily, for, for a lot of institutions. In terms of the idea that one person's tweet could cause this uh, amount of damage, well, we've been involved with Tesla, um, you might know, for a very long time. And uh, uh, we are getting used to this uh, and, and use these opportunities as, as uh, you know. Uh, do, do you think uh, he was smoking a blunt while he was sending out those <laughs> tweets? I'm just asking for us. No, I think he was here. probably just after a call with Larry Fink at BlackRock, who's his number three shareholder, who's all about climate change and probably set off some of this furor, if I had to guess. And there are also in the 
the top of the league tables in terms of owners of Tesla, there are a lot of European institutions. Uh, and again, very high sensitivity, probably more than Elon could have imagined before uh, he committed and his team committed to Bitcoin. I think this is a good transition point uh, to, you know, talking about the ESG component of, you know, what Bitcoin means for the environment. Personally, for me, I, I kind of agree with you, Kathy, that I believe that Bitcoin unlocks a uh, a opportunity and incentive to build out green tech, to build out energy infrastructure in general, and kind of localize and make it more robust. We saw, you know, earlier this year how fragile the energy infrastructure in the US is. I live in California. You know, it's been on fire for a long time. I'm sorry, this background is um, is, is is appropriate. Um, you know, we saw what happened in Texas. Like, there's a lot of room for improvement here. And I think yeah. Bitcoin can help with that. If you look at the energy mix based on, let's call it Bitcoiners estimates, Bitcoin uh, is 30% renewable, which is better than any state or the world. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like, does Bitcoin even deserve this ire? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. On Friday, a company called Talon Energy uh, announced uh, uh, that it was doing an equity offering. Uh, it, it was going to try and get uh, $800 million done, $300 million of which would go to data centers for Bitcoin mining. This is a uh, merchant power producer. And so I thought, wow, there are already companies that are starting to run with this, this model. And we know in China, the renewable uh, uh, percentage is somewhere between 40 and 60%. So again, uh, making your point. I think a bigger point that needs to be made is that progress takes energy. Uh, and it seems it seems as though uh, any any uh, uh, lightning rod involving in this case it was coal in China uh, is going to uh, turn back the clock. But we really need to keep moving forward. This is progress, uh, as Anthony mentioned. You know, to a DeFi system that does not fall apart after. Uh, after uh, assets are cut in half, uh, that's a pretty powerful uh, 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 source of progress, I think, from a financial system point of view. And I think just, again, the, the notion that, that uh, Bitcoin mining could actually help uh, renewables proliferate faster than otherwise would be the case, I think is going to win the day here and that ESG will not be as much an issue an issue as people think going forward. Anthony, do you want to uh, have well, a hand I mean, at that? I, I guess the only thing I would add, it's probably obvious, but I think it's worth restating over and over again, is if you think about the DeFi, the decentralization, the disintermediation, and then you think about the carbon admission of a bank branch, and the tellers that have to drive to the bank branch, and then the customers that have to drive to the bank branch, and that branch has to be cooled off in the summer and heated up in the winter. Um, and then you take a step back and you look at the fact that Bitcoin right now is 0.13% of global admissions. Uh, what are the global carbon admissions of banking? And mm -hmm. so I'm not trying to be critical of banks. Obviously, you know, I have a lot of friends that are bankers and, and all that other stuff, but the if, if we're right um, and Kathy's vision is right, uh, well, then the carbon emission is going to go way down as a result of this new technology that we're going to use in terms of transferring value. And since Kathy didn't mention it, I want to mention it. Her report with Square, I think, is the seminal report on where things are and the possibilities of greening the society. And so when people are critical, I would reference Kathy and Jack Dorsey and the guys at Square and the report that they put out, uh, because I think it's a brilliant explanation of where we are today and where we're going and the endless positive possibility. So I want to applaud Kathy for putting that report out. Thank you, Anthony. And of course, yes, Sina Elmandra, Sam Corris, Brett Winton, at ARC uh, really worked very uh, uh, 
uh, intensively with Square. I think starting before Elon, or most certainly before Elon's tweet, uh, and it was because of that that we rushed <laughs> rushed it out. And I think you're going to see a lot more from us and others around this topic in the next few months to to really help institutional investors understand. Uh, you know how 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 misplaced this argument ultimately will be relative to, as Anthony said, the way traditional financial services um, work in terms of energy consumption, as well as gold mining, gold mining as well, store of value. So uh, yes, we can do those comparisons. They didn't seem to work for a while there uh, until now. We've got this analysis saying, wait a minute, this this movement could help accelerate. Uh, the shift into renewables. So very, very exciting about that. Switch it up a little bit. Um, Kathy, I was, I was going to want to ask you, what are your thoughts on the, I guess, the probability of a Bitcoin ETF being approved, as well as the recent uh, kind of turmoil with the, the GBTC discount? Uh, I think right now it's around 3%, but for a while there, it was touching around uh, minus 20%. 25 um, uh, 25%. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine a lot of institutional capital um, attempting this arbitrage trade with the with the six month lockup, as well as you know GBTC and your fund um, was taking a hit. How did you manage that, and and what were your thoughts when the when the discount was deeply negative? Sure. Uh, well, we we did buy some, so I'll say that. But uh, we uh, do believe Grayscale when it says that uh, it has every intention when the SEC allows regulators allow. Uh, to convert into a Bitcoin ETF. And it does seem with Gary uh, Gensler uh, now heading the SEC that that we're closer. Many people will say, oh, no, 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 this volatility has really thrown that off. And, you know, I, I think this volatility is almost good news because it is a, a lesson. Hey, this is a volatile asset as long as as investors describe it accurately or asset managers describe it accurate, accurately as you know very volatile although the volatility if you look long term is coming down it's still very volatile uh, i do i do believe this notion of a super cycle would never have another 50% correction that's out the window that's good that is really good because uh, regulators don't like any guarantees like that. So you've got that one out the window. You've got the price lower, so individuals won't be top ticking at in the mid 60s, right? Much, much, much better price here. And you've got two people, well, many people at the SEC, but two in particular, Gary now, who uh, is a, an advocate of its its place in uh, the financial world as well as um, the director of research at the SEC, who was promoted and now reports directly to the SEC chairman, in this case, Gary Gensler. So the SEC has placed a high priority, and I, I, we know in the last four years, since their first request for information, and, and we did uh, send a response, we felt at that time, four years ago, we weren't ready from a liquidity point of view. I think that has changed, and uh, I think the SEC's knowledge is uh, is terrific. I think there are a lot of, you know, they've investigated every nook and cranny, so I think we're much closer. Anthony, same question to you, sir. Well, you know, I... We have our own fund. We applied for an ETF. I think that's the most I can say about it. As it relates to grayscale, uh, it would be remiss of me not to say that that is not attractive here. Because as Kathy is pointing out, uh, assuming that an ETF is approved, you'll unleash a lot of that discount. Now, the one issue with grayscale, though, is that it does oscillate. It'll trade to a premium and it will trade to a discount. And so today I think it's a buy, um, but I, I didn't set our fund up that way because my attitude was on day one, I just wanted our clients to be long the strike of Bitcoin. And when they wanted to get out, they would sell Bitcoin at whatever its NAV was or the price of Bitcoin on that day. Uh, having said that, I wanna applaud Grayscale for being visionaries in this space 
And I think that there, when you're talking about the legs of the stool uh, that brought Bitcoin to where it is today, I think Grayscale has got to be one of the very big legs of that story. So uh, I'm grateful to those guys. And I think I learned something from the Bitcoin community that I like a lot. I don't like throwing A's and tomatoes at people that are uh, in the Bitcoin space with me. Yeah. And uh, I would agree with that. We met Grayscale very early on, actually through Twitter. Uh, um, Mike, Michael Sonnenschein, who heads up, uh, yeah, who heads up um, uh, Grayscale now, uh, he came to our brainstorm and his history was with JP Morgan. And I, this was 2014, 2015. And I was saying, wow, uh, JP Morgan to Bitcoin. That's impressive. Uh, you know, I, 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 uh, he understood the financial system and he understood what this was going to be very early on. So well, I'm, I'm poor Charlie Munger's almanac to Bitcoin. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm coming out of the La Brea tar pit basically putting <laughs> on he, some flesh to my dinosaur bones. We had, we were, we had the luxury of adding GBTC. It was the only thing, the only instrument we could use. It's a security and we run 40 act funds. Uh, now there are a few more. Uh, they've not been very liquid until recently. Uh, so yes, the competition is heating up. But I, uh, watching who the, the the people that Grayscale is hiring, they're very serious about moving into the ETF space. I think that's really good information, Anthony. I want to go back to you. I want to talk about you know obviously you are very Bitcoin only focused with the fund, but this kind of idea or trade off of Bitcoin only investing in Bitcoin related businesses and or a diversified crypto portfolio. I think both of your um, organizations kind of treat this differently. I want to hand this to you first, Anthony. Why why Bitcoin only? So, How do you look so at it? So I, well, because I'm an institutionalist and I think Kathy will tell you from her life experience, it's very hard to move institutions. And so, you know, think of the heresy of just being in Bitcoin for a lot of these institutions. And so I wanted to start there uh, and then see if I could move the needle a little bit, get people comfortable. Uh, July 1st, we'll, we're announcing an Ethereum fund, which will be similar to our, our Bitcoin fund. Uh, it's also public, although I can't get into the, all the information because of the certain SEC uh, requirements. We do have a UIT that we set up with First Trust, which is a digital asset infrastructure fund. So if you look at the, once the composition of that is announced and you look at it, you'll be like, okay, these guys are in the space. You know, we're, we're going to be buyers of stocks that are in the space, helping to develop and grow the space. And we're going to be investors in crypto assets alongside of it, in addition to Bitcoin. But I think if you're asking me more broadly, uh, I have found in my career, and again, rightly or wrongly, and I've done so many, made so many mistakes, you guys don't have the time and the day for it, but I found in my career, Betting on the big kahuna, the apex predator, uh, betting on Amazon versus, say, a jet.com or an overstock. And again, no offense to those names, but just betting on the apex predator has usually been a good bet for us. And so that's to say that these other coins won't do well, but I do see Bitcoin doing very well. Could there be other coins that you guys will be able to point to 10 years from now that had better performance in Bitcoin? Perhaps. Uh, but I still think Bitcoin will be in that zip code and it'll be, uh, you know, way better. Uh, to remember what Kathy said earlier, it could be as big as the monetary supply of the United States. And so to me, that's a big enough opportunity. So my recommendation to institutions is if you're coming into the space, go big, okay, and get yourself acclimated to the space. Michael Saylor once said to me, something I'll never forget, I'll share with you guys, that my first Bitcoin was super hard to buy. That was my story. But once I owned my first Bitcoin and I realized what was going on, I'm like, oh my God, I don't own enough of this. So every month I try to buy a little bit more for myself and my family. Yeah, and we also um, are diversifying. We, we have uh, various funds. Uh, you can find them on our website. I'm not 
uh, from a compliance point of view, supposed to be talking uh, very openly about some of them. Uh, but it is public that we have added uh, Ethereum. Uh, uh, again, the security uh, through Grayscale um, uh, was our starting point. And uh, yes, as Anthony says, Bitcoin uh, is the safest, the most secure of the blockchain technologies. And I think that is a huge consideration for institutions, security, safety. You know, is this thing going to blow up on me? Uh, so uh, uh, Bitcoin is the most secure, makes sense. It's the right place to start. Uh, the correlation of uh, returns very low. Uh, and it also is the leader of the pack. If you look at uh, 2017, as uh, the crypto world took off, led by Bitcoin, here again in the last six months, led by Bitcoin. Uh, Ether was uh, was very slow this time to respond, uh, but came on obviously once, once confidence increase came on very strongly. Uh, so uh, different, I think institutions will diversify into other crypto assets, but they have to walk before they run. And I think they have to feel safe and secure uh, in the knowledge that you know uh, their assets are um, are uh, uh, are not, as I said, going to be in harm's way. Maybe the volatility is there, but uh, that their Bitcoin uh, will be there. It will not be confiscated in any way uh, that they might fear. So I think that's why you're seeing the the step first into Bitcoin, and then as a launching pad into others. And, you know, it's also interesting, I think after 2017, uh, we watched carefully uh, the, the network dominance and different people measure this differently. But um, uh, just for the sake of argument, at the peak in 2017, Bitcoin accounted for roughly a third, maybe 30 percent, 33 percent of the network value of the crypto world. Um, and the, at its peak during the depths, during the coronavirus crisis, and uh, uh, again, well, and a little bit after that, it had gone up to, again, depending on the measure, uh, high 70s, uh, low 80s. That tells me or reminds me and uh, Yassine and our team that Bitcoin is the reserve currency of the uh, uh crypto asset ecosystem. It is the flight to safety currency. Uh, and, and I do believe that's still the case. Well, can, can I, I just say something? Because I think you guys will enjoy this, okay? And what, 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 what Kathy said, not only do I agree with, but for people in the crypto space, it felt like Bitcoin was too boring for them about a month or two ago. And I'm like, oh my God, I mean, compared to <laughs> The institutions I deal with, Bitcoin is the hot tamale. You know, but there are coiners out there. They think, oh, Bitcoin, that's the reserve currency of crypto. You yeah. see, see what I'm saying? My, my point is we have so far to go in terms of the adoption. It is so, so early, guys. Yes. That's my message. Yeah, and I'll, I'd liken it. Uh, and Yassine wrote a white paper on it. It's on our site. Uh, and we, we took a look at how uh, the ecosystem is likely to evolve. And I think, I think we used, I think it was a million Monte Carlo simulations, uh, just trying to figure out, okay, if institutions start moving in, uh, where will they go? Well, they'll tiptoe in uh, a mass mutual, I guess was a hundred million dollars for their for their general account, which is what it's probably 0.002% of their of their general account. So that's really tiptoeing in and just gives you a sense uh, of how far we have to go. Uh, according to those simulations, uh, in order to maximize uh, the sharp ratio, an institution might uh, move towards, in crypto assets, we did it on Bitcoin, 6% of a portfolio in, in Bitcoin in order to minimize volatility uh, and enjoy the increased return uh, associated with crypto, uh, that uh, percent might be more like two and a half percent. And it reminds me of the emerging markets in the, two th in the, in the 1980s. MSCI came along and said, 
hey, wait a minute, uh, these countries, they're all emerging markets very early on, uh, but they each have idiosyncratic risks. Why don't we put them all together in a portfolio? And uh, returns will be higher, risk lower than in any one alone. I think the same thing's going to happen to the crypto asset ecosystem, starting with Bitcoin and Ether. How do you guys think about um, the macroeconomic environment, uh, Michael Saylor, Anthony, um, he's, he said something like the world changed in last March. And like, how do you think about, you know, real yields? Some people call it the everything bubble where where returns on sovereign debt are negative. And, and I feel like this is kind of a driving force for, for Bitcoin adoption, um, central bank liquidity, um, just kind of driving up all assets. What are your thoughts on, on Bitcoin as a as a risk on versus risk off asset? Um, how that might evolve and, and really just the macroeconomic environment in general. So so to be clear, it's probably perceived right now as a risk on asset. But I think longer term, and if you look at it, I think the way Kathy and I are looking at it, that you're we're embracing the volatility. Remember, volatility may not be a measurement of risk if you understand fundamentally what you own. Um, so you can, you know, you can use the volatility. Uh, and the manic depression of the markets to take advantage of the markets. And so when you look back at the macroeconomic backdrop and you study cycles of history, we know one axiomatic fact about fiat currency, politicians, policymakers, kings and queens print more of it because it's an easy short-term solution. You know, the Roman emperor with the bread and circuses, it's a distraction and it's a solution that will calm down the problems of a society in the short term. And I think the brilliance of Satoshi Nakamoto, and it goes right back to John Maynard Keynes, because remember, coming out of the war, Keynes wanted at the Bretton Woods Conference a uniform currency. He, he asked for it. for it. It didn't become politically expedient to have it. And of course, the dollar supremacists at the table didn't want that. They were just feeling their oats. Uh, as the dollar was taking its force as the global reserve currency. But, you know, Kathy pointed out, if you're going from four and a half trillion dollars of dollar volume to seven and a half trillion dollars of dollar volume, my friend Ross Stevens at NIDIG puts it better than everybody. You just got taxed, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, the government didn't impose it on you, but they secretly did it through the central bank because go look at your bank account now. If you've got $10,000 in your bank account, and they just pr printed 30 plus percent more dollars, well, the purchasing power of your $10,000 has eroded. And remember, your time and your money are conjoined. And so what's happening is they're taking your time from you by doing that to you. It's a form of erosion. And so to me, uh, what Nakamoto said, the brilliance, remember, the best ideas come in the simplest form. What he's basically saying to you is if you can create this decentralized situation and the money actually becomes stable and cannot be affected by policymakers or politicians, it will have a remarkably positive effect on the world. Now, I'm going to show you guys something that I stole from Jack Dorsey. Okay, you want to see it? This is my Bitcoin clock, right? I had, I had Bitcoin envy, block clock envy when I saw him testifying and saw this behind, so I bought it, right? And so what does it say on here? And Kathy, you two guys are too young to be impressed by this, but Kathy knows how old I am. I'm going to read this without my bifocals, okay? Just to show you how, okay? What does it say on this clock? If you don't believe it or don't get it, I don't have the time to try to convince you. Sorry, Satoshi Nakamoto. And so when you step back and look at the macroeconomic backdrop, if you understand that white paper, you have to be in Bitcoin, it is a part of your risk management for the future, as opposed to a risk on asset. I'm sorry to be so long-winded, but I was no, on a roll. It. I was on a roll there, Kathy, and I was trying I to use it. all that dramatic flair. That's oh, I love in it. Case so, background there, you see so, the fire and going and stuff. You're featuring the inflation tax risk, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I completely agree with that. It's a, an insurance policy. Um, but there's another side to this. So Ray Dalio earlier this week said he'd prefer to own Bitcoin uh, than bonds. Now, he's worried about a deflationary bust. Uh, 
And I think the truth actually is somewhere in between. Uh, he is worried about the counterparty risk that is going to occur because of a deflationary busk, uh, bust uh, in the global ecosystem. So think about it. We're talking about a hedge against inflation and a hedge against deflation. That's pretty good. That is pretty darn good. I don't think I know of another asset, maybe gold, but no, I I, I actually think this is the first uh, rules-based monetary policy, global, stateless, and uh, trustless. Uh, uh, so uh, I think we're on to a completely different animal here and um, it's pretty exciting. All right, so we're coming to the end. This is my last question before we wrap it up, but Bitcoin typically has up and down cycles, bull and bear cycles. And, uh, you know, up until this most recent correction, the euphoria was high. It felt like everyone was feeling like we're in a bull cycle. Have we seen the top of this bull cycle? And if not, give us a prediction. The people always want predictions and everyone hates giving predictions, but I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to start with you, Kathy, and then then go to Anthony. Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm i in print, and we are in print, ARK Invest, uh, based on the, the research that Yasina Almandra has done, uh, that institutions will become a very important part of this ecosystem. And if we, uh, if we use those two numbers, that range two and a half to six and a half percent, you go towards the the upper end of that, say five, five percent, uh, that alone would add $500,000 to Bitcoin's price, uh, just as institutions try to get a foothold in. Uh, so we're, we're extremely optimistic about Bitcoin. And I'm more optimistic now after this correction. In the equity market, you call 20% a bear market. I don't know what they call a bear market in, in crypto. Uh, uh, so I feel though that uh, as does, as Anthony uh, said, that we haven't even begun the inst institutional movement into the space. Uh, and, and so just that one use case gets us to that kind of price. Of course, the volatility will be with us. I, uh, my compliance department would be very upset if I did not add that. It's not going to be straight up. It's not a super cycle without 50% corrections. Uh, and beware from a leverage point of view, you can lose everything out there uh, in, in crypto if you're a leveraged player. So, uh, you know, buyer beware, be careful, but uh, hang on for a beautiful ride. All right, Anthony. So, you know, I, I'm going to stick with my $100,000 year-end price target, and I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that Kathy's going to be right long-term there's no reason why this can't be a half a million dollar coin, uh, but I do think you can still get to $100,000 this year, just knowing what I know about demand and potential saturation levels. Um, but I do want to emphasize what Kathy said about leverage because uh, I went through the 1998 uh, long-term capital management crisis with the Russian ruble. Uh, we went through 2008, the global financial crisis. We experienced March of 2020 with the pandemic. And I'm going to remind everybody that's listening uh, something that Buffett said about leverage. It is a dagger coming out of the steering wheel of your sports car. And you're traveling downhill very quickly on an icy mountain road in the <laughs> middle of the winter. And so when you need to hit the brake, that's when the leverage is going to hurt you the most. Okay, that's when that's coming right through your chest. And so I want to use Buffett's metaphor here. They may have missed Bitcoin, but they're very sensible guys about risk management. And what I would implore people to do is in this space, just own the coins themselves without the leverage. Dial back that level of euphoria so you don't get taken out, okay, in a cycle like the one we experienced over the last three weeks. Awesome. I think that was a great last word. Anthony, where can people learn more about you? Well, you can go to skybridgebitcoin.com, which I bought right after I got fired from the White House. Okay, you can go on there and get, get to that website. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, mooch.fm, uh, which is available uh, on Apple and all the places that you would find podcasts. We also have a Salt Talk series. Kathy has been 
nice enough to be one of our guests on that. Uh, so that's salt.org backslash talks. Um, how's that for an infomercial? Should I keep going? I mean, I got a lot more stuff to say. No, I'm kidding. But that's how you can find me. No, thank you so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure having you back on Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Kathy, where can people learn more about you? And if you have any last words, this would be the best time to say them. Okay, uh, so arc-invest.com. Again, Yasin Almandra, if uh, if you're on Twitter, follow his handle, follow the people he follows. Uh, uh, and Brett Winton, our director of research, also very engaged. We, we now have uh, brought on an ether miner, uh, uh, Frank Downing, uh, and so he's on our fintech team, uh, and all of us have Twitter handles. So certainly there, the blogs are on on our uh, uh, website. Uh, we do have podcasts uh, as well. FYI for your innovation is our podcast series. Uh, many of them uh, do revolve around uh, crypto assets, and and increasingly so since. Um, uh, we have brought on more talent. And uh, so my last words, I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> the 500,000 has earned me some uh, daggers and uh, uh, from the traditional world. Uh, but we, one thing I'll say is we have done the research and we've probably done more original research, I, I will say, than most organizations, mostly because of how long we've been focused on it and felt in the beginning like we were really taking a, a crazy risk that the SEC and the New York Stock Exchange were monitoring. So we needed to double down on our research and help uh, our regulators understand that we knew we, and do know what we're talking about. So the courage of our conviction comes from our research. Uh, and I think Anthony would say the same thing. Yeah, there's no question. You got to do the research. You got to do the fundamentals. I'm, uh, Kathy, you'll enjoy this. I'm writing a book right now. It's about 90 pages, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Bitcoin. You remember the book, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb? <laughs> Yeah. I figured I would have a takeoff on that. And it's steeped in the research. It's steeped in understanding the network effects, uh, what the history of money is, why Bitcoin could really be a stabilizing force and a green force, frankly, for the global community. So I'm in the process of writing that right now. Amazing. I'm glad that you had one more thing, Anthony. I'm glad that you had <laughs> one more thing to close it out. Y'all, this was an absolute pleasure to host. Uh, thank you so much for your precious time. I don't take it for granted whatsoever. Uh, Bitcoin 2021, Bitcoin Magazine, both, uh, you know, just extremely honored to host such brilliant minds and excited to uh, post this content and make it available to the world. Um, Thanks again, everyone watching. Follow Bitcoin Magazine. Follow me at CK underscore Snarks. Follow my co-host at BTCization. Uh, Young Buck really putting in a lot of amazing work. So you love to see it. And uh, once again, thank you so much to the panel. Uh, go check out all the amazing content at Bitcoin 2021, uh, b.tc forward slash conference. Thank you. Congratulations on all your good work. Thank yeah, you. Good luck to you guys. God bless. Kathy, great seeing you. Yeah, great to see you, Anthony. Thank you so much. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.